thank you so much. We're going to just spend a few minutes looking at a passage in uh, Matthew's Gospel. So if you want to follow the reading, it's Matthew chapter 8. And we're reading from verse 5 to 13. Um, I had a real compliment paid um, to our church um, in these last two weeks um, by a chap who's on one of our, well, he's on our Alpha course here. And um, he said, I have never been to a church that is so Jesus-focused. I thought, that's pretty good. He's a bit confused at the moment, but we're praying for him, because he says he believes in God, but not Jesus. And we've confused him because we've said Jesus is God. (laughs) But we're going to get there, I'm sure. And uh, we've had the privilege of just seeing um, uh, newborns into the kingdom this last week, which is brilliant. Right, it's called the faith of the centurion is the reading. So when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Shall we just pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We've already sung that it is a lamp to our feet. Lord, your name, Jesus, is like honey on our lips. And your spirit, like water to our soul, you refresh us. And just as we look at this passage tonight and wonder once again at just your amazing, amazing grace and authority and truth, Lord Jesus, open our eyes that we might see you. And we pray, Lord, we pray for those uh, who are seeking after you, for those on the Alpha course, for that man in particular, that you will open his eyes to see you, Jesus, to see you, Father, to see you, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, blessed Trinity. Amen.
Nobody knew how to disappoint the public quite like Jesus. Jesus came as the long-awaited, long-promised, long-expected Messiah. He was the king of the Jews. And with that longing, the public had expectations, particularly the Jewish uh, public that were waiting for the Messiah. And there was a popular expectation that the Messiah would come and when he came, he would throw off the yoke of Roman occupation and establish the kingdom of Israel once again. But when Jesus comes, the Messiah, the Savior, he brings God ideas. And not everyone saw them at first, not even his disciples. One of the disciples he called to himself was Simon the Zealot. He would have been a revolutionary. He would have been one of those thinking, well, Jesus is going to rid us of the Romans. Amongst the other disciples as well. And they still had high hopes that Jesus might be that conquering hero that Israel had been waiting for. Even after the resurrection. When they asked Jesus, are you now, now that you're risen from the dead, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replies, it's not for you to know the dates or the times that my father has set. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus came, it wasn't what people were expecting. Certainly wasn't what the Jews were expecting. One of the first clues would come in his Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus makes reference very briefly to one of the most resented laws of Roman occupation. Matthew 5, verse 41, If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Now what that refers to was the law that any Roman soldier could force any Jewish male to carry his equipment for a mile. Just had to tap him on the shoulder with a spear or his sword, and then he was under his authority and he had to carry his stuff For a mile. Do you you not understand why that might be resented? You're just popping out to the co-op, you know, and then you've got to walk another mile. And Jesus says, don't just walk a mile. Walk two miles. It's where we get that phrase, isn't it? Go the extra mile. I've heard lots of people use that phrase who don't even know who Jesus is. It's going the extra mile. Again, in another passage, when asked about paying taxes to Caesar, another one of the most hated things, Jesus asks them for a coin. And he, he says, look at the coin. Who, whose head is that? Caesar's. Whose inscription is that? Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then give to God what is God's. Everything that you are is God's. Jesus was, 
obviously a revolutionary, but he was a kingdom of God revolutionary. See, the kingdom that Jesus preached and the enemy that he came to defeat was even bigger than Rome. Jesus had not come to defeat Rome, but defeat Satan. John, in one of his letters, says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy all the works of the evil one. That's why Jesus has come, to destroy all the works of the evil one. And as we've prayed and as we've gone in our minds around the world, he is still doing that. And one day it will be complete. He will destroy all the works of the evil one. He had not come to kill Romans, but to save them. To save the world. And in our passage, Matthew just gives us a little glimpse of of that as he tells this story of a Roman centurion's faith. It's also told in Luke's gospel as well. You see, the zealots would have wanted the liberation of about 8,000 square miles. And Jesus wanted to bring liberation to the whole of creation. The very creation, the Bible says, is groaning, waiting for Jesus to liberate it. The zealots hoped for a kingdom that might maybe last a hundred or so years, Jesus brings a kingdom that will last forever. And he is the king of the kingdom. And when he rides into Jerusalem that final time, he comes not on horseback as a military conqueror. He comes riding on a donkey, fulfilling scriptures. He comes in peace and humility. He is crowned. Not with gold, but with thorns. No rings on his fingers, but nails through his hands and feet. This is our Jesus. And he was the hope of Israel, but he was not quite what Israel hoped for. And in this passage, we have the stark contrast Because Matthew tells us of a Gentile, non-Jew. Not only a non-Jew, but a Roman soldier. Probably a conscript from the Lebanon of Syria, we're not quite sure. But he had no such preconceptions. And I have found it very interesting on all the Alpha courses I've done is that people who come with preconceptions find it really hard to open their heart to Jesus, yet those who just come with an open heart, when they hear the good news, it's just like amazing. Oh, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm religious, aren't you? No, we're not religious. So here we read of a Roman centurion who would normally be one of the hated Roman occupiers. But if you read Luke's version of the story, he tells a little bit more detail of how the Jews spoke well of him. And he said that this, they said that this guy loves our nation. He's helped build our synagogue. But he comes to Jesus. And he has faith in Jesus. 
Amazing, simple faith. Because he comes and he believes that Jesus can heal his servant. He believes that Jesus has authority over sickness. And he shows quite incredible humility in approaching a Jewish preacher. And he says, Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. There is implied a request in that. He hasn't actually said anything like, would you come? And it's Jesus who replies. And we're not quite sure how to read this reply. Shall I come and heal him? Or shall I come and heal him? Depends how you want to read it. Jesus never entered a Gentile home. But the centurion, he almost treats it as an irrelevancy because a visit isn't necessary. And here we have a really tiny definition of faith. Faith here in verses 8 and 9 is defined by an absolute trust in Jesus. that so many of us find so hard to grasp. Yet this centurion, Roman, Gentile, just has an absolute trust in Jesus. He says, Lord, you, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. You don't even have to come. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Wow. That is amazing faith, isn't it? And he explains to Jesus, I know about authority. I have people under my authority. I say to one, go, and he has to go. I say to one, come, and he has to come. I say to one, do that, and he has to do that. And he says to Jesus, just say the word. And I think Jesus loved that. The translation I have says he was amazed, but I think he loved it. And he was amazed and astonished because he even makes reference to it. He turns to the crowds around him, the Jewish crowds around him, and said that he had found no one with such faith in the whole of Israel. The ones who were expecting, the ones who were anticipating, the ones who had all those expectations of the Messiah. And he gives them a warning of the danger of missing that great heavenly banquet. Banquet of the kingdom of God. There was a great banquet today in the mall. It was a bit wet. Everyone got absolutely soaked. But there was a great banquet. But it has nothing, not a patch on the heavenly banquet that we're invited to. If we would just humble ourselves and have simple trust and faith in Jesus. There were those among the Jews who looked forward to the Messianic banquet as their private preserve. They had thoughts that they had that, you know, that sort of private function room. It was all to themselves. And they've lost touch of their history 
lost touch with all the prophets. Where Isaiah says, you're to be a light to the nations. And Jesus here hints at that worldwide mission and invitation based on simple faith in Jesus. We get so muddled and get it so complicated. And we will never fathom or understand all who God is. And, but faith is so simple that a child can understand it and put their trust in Jesus. Paul the Apostle, Apostle to the Gentiles, said that the gospel was the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And Matthew, as he writes his gospel and he continues his ministry, he understood that Jesus was the world's Messiah. The hope of the world, the light of the world, the joy of the whole world, the saviour of the world. And I don't know who was in Matthew's congregation or where he ministered and how, but I'm sure he puts these stories in and many others like them that have been such an encouragement to the many Gentiles who were coming to faith in Jesus by simple trust and belief in his name. People like us who have heard the message and responded with simple trust. So deep, so profound, yet so simple. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. And Matthew just comments at the end, and his servant was healed at that very moment. This is who Jesus is. And we want the world to know him. We want everyone to see who Jesus is. Amen. Let's pray together.